Okay, uh, Chris, do you have a, a particular order? So, uh, Sister Margarita has a question, so we start with her. Sounds good. Okay. Her question is, what is the difference between the kingdom of heavens, the kingdom of the heavens, and the kingdom of God? Is there any difference? And I would go to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23 and 24 to show that it appears that that in one sense at least they are interchangeable okay in verse 23 then Jesus said to his disciples assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and then in the very next statement and again I say to you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God so he's the, the subject is a rich man entering something in both verses and he uses the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God interchangeably mm-hmm. and if you do the uh, study you'll see that in gospel of Matthew is the only gospel that uses the kingdom of heaven and in parallel verses that are word for word the same in Matthew and then Mark and Luke Mark and Luke will use the kingdom of God you're saying then it's the same? They seem to be interchangeable for the same thing. And one of the reasons perhaps why Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven initially and then begins to move into the kingdom of God is to make the link to the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel talks about the kingdom uh, being... Uh, from the kingdom of the, especially in, in Daniel chapter four, I think it is, where Nebuchadnezzar talks about the uh, God's rule in the heavens, the heavenly rule on earth. I forgot how he puts it. Let's see if I can find it here. And uh, well, in verse Daniel two forty four, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So the God of heaven setting up a kingdom so therefore it's the kingdom of the heavens you could say as well as the kingdom of God so I think that's what Matthew's doing he's making that that link to the Old Testament phraseology the God of heaven setting up that's in Daniel 2.44 but it's repeated in a few other places in Daniel as well okay okay uh, next Next one. He already, uh, Luke already. I assume I took your prayer for the meal was also for the study. So I think we already opened in prayer. Sounds good. Uh, we can close in prayer. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you have a question, uh, Hermano? No, no, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> Feel free to. Chris, you got one? Absolutely. I didn't have a question. I just had the topic that I mentioned to you. I just, you know, you can start with the topic and go through. Revelation twenty-two twelve. Right near the end of your Bible. You want to read that verse? You got it there? Sure. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. 
So he, that, that's a promise, right? To define <clears throat> quickly, when he says I'm coming quickly, uh, doesn't mean that that his his actual coming to the earth, his second coming, we call the second advent, is is going to be uh, soon after he wrote or said this or gave this to John. It it means that when he when the events begin that are associated with the second coming, they're going to happen quickly. <laughs> So when the process begins of his second coming, they happen, and that's what we see in the book of Revelation and the other, other chapters as well. And my reward is with me. That's uh, um, typical all the way through the Bible, but especially in the Gospels and the New Testament, the Lord promises reward for those who serve him. And if you have some sense of receiving rewards uh, down here. I remember as a youngster a sports banquet. Remember if you were in high school and they have a sports banquet at the end of the year for the sports and they gave certain awards for accomplishments and it was always a nice thing to get an award for something even if it was rather minimal it was still you were being recognized for something, some accomplishment and and the Lord is he's so gracious he gives us life eternal life through faith in his son that's to me enough of a reward just to not have to go to hell forever and be separated from God forever that, that's, that's huge but not only that he says and after I've saved you then I'm going to enable you equip you to serve me here on earth for some period of time however long that is that we live and then I'm going to reward you for that <laughs> if we do it according to his words if we serve him according to his word he promises, and that's the reward. It's with me to give to everyone according to his work. So there, there's a service that we do. And we were talking about this uh, last night on the Great White Throne Judgment, that the, the reward is going to be proportionate. It's a proportionate reward, which is pretty much how we uh, do that here when we give awards too. In other words... It, proportionate to what, how much we give, how much we serve Him now, it will be when we the reward we get when He comes back. He says that when He comes back, that we are going to reign with Him on the earth. Man in Genesis 1:26, man and woman, well, they were created to exercise dominion over the earth. That's that's our function. And we won't be fulfilled or satisfied till we're doing what we were made to do. Now that was the usurper, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, stole that in the Garden of Eden from Adam and Eve and they lost that temporarily. But the Lord already had a plan for how he's going to deal with that. And when the Lord Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, his people who have trusted him in the days of uh, his, his suffering now and, and days of suffering for us as well because we're not acknowledged, we're not appreciated in this world. Uh, and often persecuted in some areas of the world that uh, if, if we're loyal and faithful to him now in little things he says faithful if you're faithful in little things you can be faithful in much right so this is a, this is a testing time and, uh, and so the reward is according to loyalty and service for him now and we serve by faith not by sight that's the whole thing. In the church age, we live by faith, not by sight. We, we, if we said, well, I would, I would serve him more if he would show me what I'm going to get on the other side of death, you know. 
well then that, that's living by sight that's not living by faith and God says no I could do that but I'm choosing I want you to live by faith and if you really love me and trust me you will trust me to do the right thing for you after death but and he has given us insight into what I mean yes. it's, all, it's all going to be one big surprise you know I mean, that's right the, the picture that he paints of heaven right is an amazing thing that yeah you know, that's right we don't have it's not a guessing game in that's sense. right and use our imagination that's right, right. it's here yeah. he gives us enough information that our faith can be anchored in <coughs> truth that's real and, and then there's a motive behind the things that we do that will be judged that's so right with the wood, hay, and stubble with the gold and silver and that's precious right. stones so right. what we see might not be what is the real people who are getting the acclaim for whatever they're doing it might not be from in, in God's mind the same as what we see and that's the verses for that would be in First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 the so called love chapter the first three verses deal with uh, our service and the motive for our service for him and if we do it and we don't do it out of love if love for God first and then for the person we're serving is not our motive in our service it profits me how much in the end of verse 2? I am nothing. And he says in even in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, sell everything I have to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that is, as a martyr. You know, uh, back then that's how they were uh, killing a lot of the Christians. But have not love, it profits me... What? Nothing. Nothing. So that's, that's very revealing. God who sees the hearts, we don't, as Peter said, we don't see the hearts of people and we don't even see our own heart always very accurately, you know, because, because there's self-deception involved even with our own heart. So we need to be careful. That's why he says constantly, examine your motives, why you're doing these, this service. If you're doing it for selfish ambition or to get your name in a magazine or get your name in in lights and all of that kind of stuff then he said you've got your reward you just you got all of it right then right here on earth there won't be any reward after for that you got it already enjoy it it's not going to last very long <laughs> yeah God looks on the heart yeah like Samuel look, look at those seven men he keeps thinking oh it's got to be this one no it's got to be this one He's going, and he gets all the way through. None of these, Lord, and it's, it's the one they didn't think. He was looking Little at old David way out, the, the one that was almost uh, an afterthought. He was looking at external appearance, the ones that were big, strong, tall. He wasn't looking at God said, I look at the heart. And Saul was head and shoulders above all of his countrymen, it said. And he wasn't the one that God was going to use. And yet he had the spirit, too, full of the spirit. I mean, ooh. Let's go. Let's get some questions from some of the others. Anybody have a, a Bible question that we can? What are some of the verses that explain heaven? That heaven, kind of a picture of heaven. Well, Revelation 21, um, John 14, 1 through 3. Yeah, yeah, where he describes it 
in detail and measures it with a measuring line so that it's not just a you can't measure a dream or imagination right with a measuring line he's actually seeing something physical he's unable to see it supernaturally yeah so people might be tempted to, to ask you know, where, where is hell and where is heaven I mean, where really are those two places now they exist but where are they really where is hell it, it almost sounds like it's part of earth <coughs> Maybe inside the earth somewhere. Yeah, the Bible talks about um, the hell as being below and heaven as being above. You know, the plane of the earth. So some believe that in the core of the earth, maybe, uh, is where where hell is, or maybe but below means something else. But um, it's definitely a real place, and it's a place of torment, day and night, forever. We were looking at that last night. Um, that. Uh, hell there there are a lot of people that talk about well you know I don't want to be a Christian I don't want to do all the religious things with Christians uh, I want to, my friends are all going to go to hell and I want to go to hell we're going to have a big party and we're going to have music and booze and women and banquets and it's going to be you know that's all human imagination they're just imagining that there isn't a thing in the Bible to validate that but the Bible says and that's, this is what why deception is such a dangerous thing People are making decisions about where they're going to spend eternity based on lies, deception. The Bible says it's a place of torment day and night. It's continual torment forever. <laughs> That's hard to even imagine. I mean, you think of a time in your life when you've been in torment, whether it be physical pain or emotional pain or both, and uh, psychological pain, and, um, and, and to have that, you know, just to last even a few days can drive a person crazy, literally. Drive them into a, a mental institution. You know, pain has a way of doing that. But these people won't die. They'll be alive and experience that. And they'll know that they missed out on, what, on the free gift that God offered. You know. yeah. Well, I thought of an interesting question. I just saw something in, in chapter 21. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away mm -hmm. and there was no more sea and I John saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven so could it perhaps possibly be like two heavens in essence this new, this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven there are three heavens or did he create something new maybe in the bible there are three heavens the first heavens is our atmosphere, the clouds. The second heavens is the uh, solar system, planets, stars, all of the solar system. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. We get that from Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about when he was taken up to the uh, third heaven um, in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And that's where the new Jerusalem will, will be. That's where it is now. And it will eventually come down to the earth and connect heaven to earth for the first time ever in creation. It's hard to imagine. But that new Jerusalem, it's an, and you read very carefully... It, it, it's it's going to be 1,200 miles, 1,300 miles in dimensions, up and down and in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine that. 
Yeah. So you could, if you think about floors in there, I read this about three or four months ago. If you have floors in this, it could accommodate all the Christians that were ever saved and all, all the Old Testament people. I did it. Easily. I, I figured it out one time. It's 1,500 miles, I think. And so, like from Houston, if you can picture on a map from Houston up to you know the area of Minneapolis, Minnesota, that 1,500 miles, then across to like Seattle and back down to Los Angeles and back. That's 1,500 miles square. That's that's the base of it. But then it's 1,500 miles tall. I think the space station is at 200 miles or something like that, right? 1500. So <laughs> this is this is the, the magnitude of what we're talking about. Some some people describe heaven heaven as a uh, streets of gold and mm-hmm. a mansion and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Is that real? Well, the, the the in my father's house are many mansions, right? John 14. So uh, my father's house, he talks about there. I think is the New Jerusalem that we're talking about. And in other words, the mansions would be dwelling. Commodious, comfortable dwelling places mm-hmm. that God has for us. So you might be my next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. So we better learn to get along right here, huh, brother? Maybe we'll be the walking on streets of gold. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, every, yeah. Well, there'll be any grass. No grass. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> They're grass, but it only grows to four <laughs> inches and stops. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And, and no more guns. <laughs> no more guns. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we'll be bulletproof, and then we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. So did that help with your question? To some extent, um, yeah. My, more or less, I understand the rewards part, but you made a comment to me years ago that you didn't want to be sweeping the streets of gold, kind of implying, you know, the service is different. Where do you get that from? Well, several places, but Luke 19 would be one of them. That would be the classic example, the parable of the minas, right? And here, uh, our Lord is, this is one of several what we call stewardship parables because it's a story, a parable, to illustrate that we have a stewardship. We were made for work as human beings. We, we understand uh, stewardship, being responsible for something, being able to uh, give something, an entrustment to us. That's what a stewardship is, right? <clears throat> if you've been given children by God, that's an entrustment. It's temporary because of, you know eventually they're going to move on to their own lives, but it's an entrustment from God. <clears throat> the place where you live, your business, so forth. So the Lord tells in verse 11 of, of uh, Luke 19, if you, can, uh, if you have a Bible, you can read along. They heard these things. He spoke another parable. This is in the context of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, being saved. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. You see the picture here of our Lord going to receive something and then coming back is already there. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them, Do business till I come. In other words, the nobleman's going to be gone. He's not going to be able to supervise them. He's going to be gone in a far country. And he gives them an entrustment from him and do business with it until I come back. And the idea is, when I come back, I'm going to hold you accountable, right? Because that's what stewardship means, right? That you're going to give account for what was entrusted. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. 
And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, just like he said he was going to do, he went to a far country to get it. Our Lord Jesus has gone to heaven to receive a kingdom. He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. In other words, did business with the money. And then there came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. So a tenfold increase, right? Ten times more. And listen to what he says. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. You see the change? He was given money, one mina as a test, and then what he did with that, it was a tenfold increase. So now he says, So you're you are faithful in a very little, so I trust you to be faithful even with ten cities. You remember what we saw in Revelation? We we shall reign with him when he returns. Well what does that reign mean? That means we were gonna help him. He's gonna be king over the whole earth and he will have his ambassadors, his court, his his uh, officers or whatever that are helping to enforce his kingdom and his rule over the earth. He's going to reign with a rod of iron. And we in the church are going to be, at least some of us, the faithful, are going to be allowed to reign with him. Now I think, uh, well, well, let's finish with the parable and I'll, I'll answer what, what, I was, what I was saying before and years ago. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas, so fivefold increase. And likewise he said to him, You also be over five cities. You notice the proportion. The one with a tenfold increase, ten cities, more responsibility. The one with a fivefold increase, five cities. So it's proportionate to the level of faithfulness here that the reward is given for there. And that's eternity. This is time. And so many people live today for everything for today and, and as far as live for the world instead of for God. And when they get to the end, like I was saying last night, you know, I have a friend that, you know, he was in his early 70s and he lived his whole life for the world. Now, he was a Christian, but he lived for the world he, and, and he didn't do hardly anything for God. And now he's about to die and he's looking back over his life and it's gone. He did, you don't get to relive it a second time, do you? You don't get a second shot through it. It's, you're, he's done. He's looking back and he's saying, I wasted it. I wasted it. I could have lived for God. And, and instead, I live for myself and for worldly things that don't matter. And, and now his whole eternal responsibility has been determined by the decisions he made here. That's sobering, isn't it? And I think it's, we have a responsibility to advise people of that early in their life. Don't wait till they're 70 to tell them. Tell them when they're 16. <laughs> So they can make uh, decisions, and that's who we had last night, a bunch of 20-year-olds, and I was urging them, you know, you're, you're in a place now where you can make an alteration in your priorities and be more beneficial for things, and it will enable you to have more responsibility in eternity. This life is 70, 80, 90 years. Eternity is a lot longer than that. So you see how God's priorities, but He allows us to search that out for ourselves and make our own decision. We are responsible moral agents. We were made in the image and likeness of God and being made in the image and likeness of God, we are able to make decisions for ourselves and He's not going to force us. He doesn't want robots. 
He wants us to love him and to want to do it for him. And then he's going to reward that. So I believe, well, let's go on to the third one. Then I'll answer your question, Chris. And then another came, verse 20, saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept, and I put it away in a handkerchief. I didn't mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. For I, I, I feared you, because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest at least? In other words, you you weren't really believing what you said. If you really thought I, I was an austere man and you were afraid of me, you would have done something with it. You really weren't afraid of me. You really despised me. See, and you dis- And you showed it by your actions. What is austere? Uh, powerful, influential, stone-faced. <laughs> could be, austere. could be used that way too. Yeah. yeah. So look at the the Lord's decision, verse twenty-four. He said to those who stood by, "Take the mina from him and give it to the man who has ten. And they said to him, "Master, he has ten minas. He already has ten. You're going to give him another one." He said, "Yeah." For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Responsibility. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So I think it's possible at least that there will be believers in Jesus Christ who live their whole life for themselves and nobody knew they were a Christian and didn't do any, really anything for God. They'll be saved and they'll be in the heavenly Jerusalem, but that's what I meant about streeping, sweeping streets of gold. They will not be trusted to do anything more than sweep the streets of gold. Now, there's streets of gold and it's a lovely place and all that, but for me, I want to be where the action is and the action is going to be on planet Earth with the Lord reigning in a redeemed earth which you know like you say the greenery the the colors I mean we were talking this morning uh, brother and I had uh, breakfast down on the beach and he was saying you know the clouds as the sun was coming up and the light refracting through it he said this is God's creation he said imagine what it's going to be like when the Lord comes back and I said yeah it, it very possibly could be you know the aurora borealis the color of the aurora borealis will be there all the time can you imagine something as striking as that you know, you've seen pictures of it because I've never been up to Alaska or wherever you have to go to see it and and it's striking it just it, you know you just stare you just the glory and that's what it's going to be like all the time when he comes back and, and we were made to appreciate we can imagine those things and we were made to appreciate them I want to be on the, on planet earth so I want to show to the Lord that I'm responsible a responsible steward that whatever he's given me yeah, as I, I like to think of it as my little niche in his vineyard his vineyard is big it's, it's gone on for 2,000 years right? and I have a little niche and you have a little niche and we're responsible for it. I'm not responsible for your little niche you're not responsible for mine we each are responsible we're going to give account for it it's just a little niche but it's mine and it's my responsibility to use it for the Lord see. 
When it, when it says that, that when, when the wood, hay, and stubble is, is burnt up and people will be saved so as by fire, would that maybe, maybe play into what you just said? About yeah, that's good. There's nothing yes. there, but to the show. fire has, has burned everything up and it did, didn't stand the, the scrutiny of God. And he, but, but he's saved, though. So maybe he's that's right. the streets, like you said. Or that's maybe right. He doesn't have anything that, that he can be given at all. No, and, and, and that's in First Corinthians chapter 3 that Pete's talking about. If you want to see it with your own eyes, Paul's talking about we are God's fellow workers in verse 9 of chapter 3 and, uh, and no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ in verse 11. And then in verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation, and he talks about two groups here, gold, silver, precious stones, that's one group, wood, hay, and straw. Okay, so we all those are things we're all familiar with, you know. You, hay, you, there's probably some out there in the field somewhere left over from the previous tenant, and and, and and wood, straw, and then gold, silver, precious stone. Each one's work will become clear. For the day, that's the day of Jesus Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. So you think of it. What happens to gold, silver, and precious stones in the fire? They're refined. They become even more. The impurities are taken out and they become even more valuable, right? What happens to wood, hay, and straw in the fire? If it burns long enough, you don't even see the ashes. I mean, it just it just blows away in the in the wind. If anyone's work is burned, that's what Pete was talking about. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So they will suffer loss of reward, but not of salvation, because salvation isn't anything we earn. It's a gift from God. See. And so he doesn't he's not an Indian giver as we used to say in Texas. He doesn't take back something that he's that he's given, but the re, but the uh the reward is proportionate to living for him now and suffering for him, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So look at verse eight too. I just noticed verse eight. Go ahead and read it, Pete. Now now he that planteth and he that watereth are are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Yeah. A reward proportionate his own labor. Yeah. So one sows, one reaps, one waters, like I said. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the key thing is God gives the increase. God yeah, is yeah. doing the real work. Yes. And the people that allow him to do the work are going to be ones of... Well, it, it isn't even our labor. It's his labor in us. That's right. Which is the key, I think. And that's the hard part. Yes. <laughs> We, we get in the way. We get up on the throne, and we gotta get off the throne. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Kick us off the throne. Are any of these works valuable for somebody who's not a believer? No. Right. Well, I mean, you might you could answer it valuable in this sense, uh, and this is what we were looking at last night: yeah. the great white throne judgment. Uh, the great white throne judgment is going to be after the thousand-year reign of the Lord, before the eternal state begins. And that will be a judgment only for lost people, and they, they they will all go into the lake of fire, be tormented day and night forever. But but God is just, so there'll be degrees of suffering and punishment according to the degrees of evil that they did here. So someone who maybe 
lived for themselves and didn't get didn't receive the gospel, didn't uh, associate with Christian, this and that, is not going to have the same degree of punishment as, say, a Hitler or a Joseph Stalin, but they're still going to be in the lake of fire with him. <laughs> So there's a degrees of suffering, yes, but so in that sense, you know, the, the work they did, if they weren't, didn't immerse themselves in as much evil as other people, then the, there'll be the degree of punishment may be less, but they'll still be in the lake of fire and tormented day and night forever. And you mentioned the, the books are opened and the recording of all the actions yeah. that everybody does. So all the emulators, there's a book written on every one. Yeah. The Bible says there. That's really significant to think about. Uh, God is recording your life and mine right now. He has a yes. record of everything we've done. Because He made us as responsible people, He can do that. Now, for those who are born again Christians who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, like I was saying last night, for me, at age 26, I trusted the Lord. And so all the things I had done up to that point were all wiped clean by the Lord's blood. It was a clean slate, a new clean slate. From age 26 on, now I have uh, the things that I do that I'm aware of that I do wrong. I confess them, and He cleanses me and forgives me each time I confess, right? First John 1.90. And so I can keep a clean slate as I go, but there, uh, I'm busy confessing a lot of different things making restitution, correcting things, and hopefully I'm getting better at it and <laughs> not, not making the same mistake over and over again. But if I do, it's like the Lord told Peter. Peter said, if my, my brother sins against me seven times, how many times do I forgive him? He says, you forgive him 70 times seven. In other words, you don't count. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if he says we don't, then he doesn't either. He doesn't count. We, we, I did it again, Lord. It's okay. Confess it. I cleanse you. You go. Go and sin no more, and hopefully we get better at it. So, yeah. But all that. But for an unbeliever, everything like Pete's saying, it's all recorded, and, it, and he's going to open the books. And okay, and it, it doesn't say in the Bible, but you wonder, human beings being what we are, even right before the face of Jesus Christ on His great white, pure throne. <laughs> people are going to say, yeah, but Lord, well, I've got an excuse for this one, and i got to, yeah, but this one, I, I can blame so-and-so for this one, and this one, well, yeah, but I mean, your law said this, and I thought this, and, you know, people are going to bicker with them, but it isn't going to make any difference. Lake of fire. <laughs> Sobering. We were talking last night, and I brought something up that has been in my mind for a long time, and that's in, in, in Matthew 18, it talks about this is the verse, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Mm -hmm. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Mm -hmm. just, just think about that if every person that's ever been born had an angel assigned to him, or two like the Muslims think, and that those angels are recording what's going on. Mm -hmm. And yet that angel is seeing the face of, of their father. I mean, it's amazing if you think mm -hmm. about that. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. So, our little, the little kids back there, mm -hmm. when, they, when they're going to fall down, they're planting angels, protecting them, but also knowing and protecting all the time. And then as you grow older, the, the angel's still there. Mm -hmm. Recording. And 
I can tell a story about my dad, but that's that's an angel story, and that really isn't my story. It's his story. But, <laughs> but he does protect us. And when I get to heaven, I, I, I'm going to find my angel. Because I, I gave him a hard time. <laughs> I'm going to apologize to him for some of the stuff I put him through. <laughs> but apologize to the Lord Jesus first. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he's the one that, that we bring through it primarily in his Holy Spirit within us. But yeah. the ministry of angels is such a phenomenal subject if you think about it. I mean, you don't hear too many messages about that. And this is the only verse of its kind about that, too, in the whole Bible. Mm. It talks about how comforting to think about that. That every child has an angel that, that, is, that is, it says, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Not just watching the child, but mm -hmm. taking that child welfare to the Father. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think about that. Hmm. And then Lord, and Lord allows, like my son, he, he was killed, he's gone. That angel had to know about that. And maybe that same, maybe that same angel takes them home to heaven. Or maybe takes them somewhere else. Pete, if, if you don't mind, wow. and, and you can tell me not to, but, but to me, as part of that story of his son, it's in Proverbs chapter 29, right? Verse 11. Verse uh, 1. Oh yeah, verse one, verse one. Proverbs twenty nine one. Uh, it, it's, it's a sobering thing. When Pete told me this, I went back and reminded myself of this verse. And mm. Pete had given this verse to his son many times, right, Pete? But yeah. the day over, he died, over, he gave it to him. He who is he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. <laughs> And you gave it to him that day. You told me that morning, right? Uh, or no, I. I, I well, it, uh, sometimes I, was, I, I, I mentioned that he was having a uh, a wrong relationship, and I, I knew it, and, and I was confronting him about it. And, and I and I told him, Stephen, you're displeasing the Lord. You can't stay here with with who you're with. You can't do this. You know better. And uh, he, he wouldn't listen. He said, Dad, I'm, you know, just, you know, it's my business. I know what I'm doing. He says, I want to start praying for you, but remember <coughs> this verse. And I quoted this verse again to him. Yes. I would repeat it over and over. He heard it maybe ten times in his life. At yes. Least. Read it again. He who is often rebuked, like his son was, and hardens his neck, that is, you know, hardens the neck, meaning, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to hear, will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. The destruction will come suddenly, mm -hmm. surprise, mm -hmm. and there'll be no remedy. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. And he, uh, he had a drinking problem, and he had a drug problem, and he kept working and working, and he had gotten to the point where he, his hands were shaking. He was, he was running equipment when they, when they were doing pouring concrete for the Randy Arena, and he was part of the team doing that. And uh, he, he he saw his hands shaking a couple times. He got worried about it, and he was telling me about that. And, and then uh, I said, Stephen, I'll I'll take you to this place. Uh, they can, but you gotta you gotta be clean for for, for two days. And he and, and he couldn't do it. He lied to me about it too. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't three months later he was killed. <laughs> so I mean, there, there's a, there's a serious. I mean, God is good, but there's a severity to God too. Mm -hmm. He has to judge yeah. at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And 
you know, it's uh, I, I had a face up that I lost my son. Yeah. Not much you can do about it once it's gone. It's got to be uh, for a parent the most frustrating thing because you you educate, you bring them up like Pete and his wife did, but they're still make their own decisions. Those all those beautiful little children are going to make their own decisions as they turn 16, 17, 18, whatever you want to convince them. There's only so much you can do. There's so many stories out there like that. I mean, I just I'm not unique at all. Of course, you know we're we're godly, godly men. I've had wayward sons. That's why they call it the prodigal son. Mm. And they go off and they do all kinds of things and they get into all kinds of trouble. And ultimately, there's consequences to that, you know. And and if that hammer falls at one point, and uh, God will just allow it up to a point, and you got to respect His judgment, you know. And I. I can remember thinking, Lord, you, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I wasn't made of God. I accepted it. And I, I'm my, I've been a better man because of it. And I lost my life. It's the second death in my family. You know, and It's pretty sobering man, when you think about that because eternity. Think about that. Where will you spend eternity? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. We had uh, at, at the chapel where we go over in the Pembroke Pines on Pines Boulevard, uh, a young man that was killed recently right in, in front of the building mm -hmm. in August. Uh, Dave Thompson and I were talking about today. It's on the internet. There, there was a, he was on a motorcycle and he was a, a trickster on what he could do. All, he's 51 year old. He, he's Egyptian background, but and he would do tricks. He could do all kinds of tricks on. He had one of those pocket <coughs> rockets, they call them. And it turns out that night, August 19th. Uh, one of the uh, his buddies had a GoPro camera on his on his helmet and was behind him part of the way. And Sammy got way ahead of him, and he and a, a police car went around him. It turns out there was a motorcycle accident right at the intersection where the church is, right out there, and there were police cars there. This policeman was going to the scene. He goes around the mo the group of five motorcycles at Seventh Second Street, and uh, and so and it was a red light but he's got his sirens on so he goes around him so Sammy just takes off across the red light and he's and, he, and that's where the other bike stayed back at the red light and he takes he looks back at him that was the last time he ever looked back at them he looked back at them and he took off went alongside the police car and the policeman was going you know probably 80 miles an hour down Pines Boulevard pulls up next to him knocks on the window and gives him the finger going down like that right next to that close to the police car they came to the intersection and of course the, there were brake lights we could see that from the motor, from the GoPro and so the policeman slowing down well Sammy decides he's going to go up over the curb I guess and go up on across the sidewalk and he's already going at a high rate of speed there's a sign there he doesn't see the sign one of those little you know the poles about that big around but it has a flat metal plate on it and and he hits that, cuts, slices him wide open, and takes him off of his motorcycle. The motorcycle goes into the building of the church, wipes the out the canopy, into the air hits the air conditioner, which has a fence around it. But Sammy goes, and and, they, and it's still painted on the sidewalk there. He goes straight, rolling. I mean, he went way up in the air because he probably did a wheelie to get up on the on the uh, sidewalk, get over the curb. And yeah. and he rolled across all the way across the intersection. On the other side of the intersection is a fire hydrant, and his head—he had a helmet on, but his head just yeah. happened, boom, hits the fire hydrant. 
and you can look, as I say, you can look at it on the internet even tonight. He's the guy with the GoPro. Then comes up in his motorcycle, and he sees there's an act. He pulls over. He walks over to Sammy, and he looks down at him, and, and you know his some of the police put it on their website. Yeah, the, in, the internal the internal organs were all out on the outside of his body. And, uh, and that's on the internet. And he's still alive. He's yeah. still alive. He's still the, police, alive. the policeman's bent down over his helmet talking to him. Well, he died, right? Yeah, he, he, he died at the, at the scene. But he was still alive initially because they got there right. With the camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he just turned around and walked away. Some of his friends had been over there, and they, you see he's walking, and they walk by him, and they look like zombies, and just walking like this, and I can't believe it. Now, this man, he was a trickster. He had tested God and gone to the edge many, many. I mean, a 51 year old, if he started at 21, he'd done it for 30 years. Crazy Sam. Yeah, they call him Crazy Sam. He happened to just happen to see that. That sign's been relocated because we were over there and looked at it. But he had to be just at the right place, just the right time. Hit that thing. And, yeah. All in a, in a, in a moment. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. And here he is laying there on the ground. He's about to enter eternity without Christ. <coughs> How many opportunities he had to hear the gospel? I don't know. God knows. And I think he was a Muslim too, I think. Mm. Sure. Yeah, probably was. When I was at Hooters, one of the men knew him. And thought that he was a Muslim. Yeah. So that's a good chance that he's in hell. Yeah. So these these kinds of issues we're talking about are are not just uh, you know did I dust the furniture or did I vacuum? I mean those are minor things compared to what we're talking. These are weighty matters. Talking about an eternal soul, everyone, every human being's soul is eternal, but it, it's going to spend eternity in one of only two places, with God or without God. What do you think weighs, or holds the most amount of weight with the Lord as far as you know eternal rewards in heaven? I mean, would it be saving souls? It would seem that that would be the, you know, no. I think uh, that would be one of many things, right? Uh, the Lord looks at, you know, helping people would be, but you can help people by saving souls, but that's, he talks about that's a special giftedness to do that. But then he gives some people to build up, edify, build up people that are already saved. That's what he calls the pastor teacher kind of a role. So you got the evangelist, you got the pastor teacher, and both are waiting to the Lord. Both are important. Uh, you got you got people that are involved in service. You say, well, you know, people that go to the chapel quietly, you don't even know who they are, and you, but suddenly the bathrooms are clean, the kitchen's clean, and you have the the, the uh, grape juice and the bread always ready for the Lord's supper and all that, but nobody knows who it is because they don't broadcast it, they don't get up in front and say, look at me, look what I did, because they want the rewards for later. That's service, and that's important to the Lord too. So, yeah, I think. Anything, any kind of service we do according to how we're gifted. And so we, each of us, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, we each have a spiritual gift when we're, when we're born again, when we trust Jesus Christ. God gives us a spiritual gift. Now, that's different than a natural gift. You know, a natural gift, you know, you can sing maybe, you can, 
you know, fixed cars, whatever. Those are natural gifts, but this is a spiritual gift to be used to build up the body of Christ. And it, the spiritual gift will always draw attention to Christ, not to the individual. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's ministry is, to magnify Christ, right? So we, we are, it's incumbent upon us to find out what our spiritual gift is after we're saved. And we do that by interacting with other Christians in a local church. And people begin to recognize, hey, you know, I noticed you're able to do that. You're able to do this. You know, you should pray about uh, what your gift is. But it looks like your gift may be, you know, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism, all of these different things that are listed there in 1 Corinthians 12. And again, it's a stewardship. If you think of how, how powerful God is, he could certainly have some way of measuring the intensity of our love, how mm-hmm. much of a motivation we have every day doing the things we do on mm-hmm. a constant second-by-second second basis. Mm-hmm. And have people doing a, sh- a show thing, doing something that's that's very outward, might take an hour, and then they then go to a bar somewhere and be, you know, be doing. So I mean, it's canceling things out, and only God would know that. Yes. Who else would know that? Yes. So I think that's the key thing that God knows. He He's going to be so fair and just. I think when everything is said and done, we're going to say, "Wow, you know, God has been so fair and so so righteous." You know. Yes. Uh, we 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 got it better than we deserved. Yeah. We'll always be able to say <laughs> better that. than we deserved. We'll always be able to say that. His mercy and His grace. Amen. Doesn't stop. Well, maybe we. It's quarter to nine, then we should stop, and then I think before, we've got some breakfast. Before we do that. I mean some dessert. No. I got a question. <laughs> <laughs> Am I already thinking breakfast eggs. already? <laughs> I don't have any chicken bag. I got a bagel for you. Not yet. Not yet. I'm sorry, John. I, I, I uh, would like to ask you a question here. Um, the next great event in the life of a Christian would be the rapture. Now, there will be no sign for the believer of the rapture. Yes. According to First Thessalonians, he said, "The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven." That's where the Lord is coming from, from heaven, mm-hmm. with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now. He's going to come like a thief in the night, we are told, right? Not not a, like a thief in the night for believers, but it will become like a thief in the night for unbelievers. Okay. What about for believers, he's not going to be no surprise to us. We're looking for him. Right, right. right We're right, loving right. his appearing, right? But, but, right, we need, need but to be The surprise is still the same either way, right? Yeah. We need Neither of yeah. us will know it's coming, right? That's right. Yeah, we need to be ready like the ten, well, the ten the five wise virgins. Now, there will be no sign here at the rapture. But in the day of the Lord, when he comes back on Mount Zion mm-hmm. to rule on this earth, there will be a sign. There will be lots of them. Now, can you give us a sequence of events? From from the rapture to the, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord 
begins you know the rapture is? give him a quick synopsis of the rapture <coughs> the, the Bible teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians 15 that believers will be that the Lord's second coming will begin with his, his coming only to the, to the clouds not all the way to the earth mm-hmm. he'll come to the clouds and from the clouds he will call up believers from the entire time of the church age going back to right. the resurrection when he, when he started the church and those who are dead in the ground have been buried they will be called up and, and then we who are alive will be called up to meet him in the air and, and we'll be given glorified bodies at that point and taken he'll take us with him to heaven to the heavenly Jerusalem and that's where we'll have the judgment seat of Christ where we're, the rewards the sports banquet if you will and the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place a big feast <coughs> But on earth will start what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And that begins with the signing of a peace treaty between Israel and whoever the leader is at that time of uh, the revived Roman Empire, which would be uh, some sort of a conglomeration of the European nations. And uh, that will last for seven years. The tribulation will last seven years. Yes. So what was the time between the rapture and the tribulation? Have it done? There, we, there could be. Uh, uh, the, the Bible doesn't say any time between the rapture could happen the day before that peace treaty is signed. It could happen an hour before the peace treaty is signed. But it, it's going to be fairly close. Could be months. Believers are pulled off the Probably not months. Maybe one month. Yeah, but yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, with uh, the case. Case. yeah, the left behind. The left behind. Yeah. So that's seven years yeah. after. Now, one thing to think about on the peace treaty too, the signing of the peace treaty. Uh, I was talking with uh, somebody about that at lunch today. That um, you know, like even in all of history of signing peace treaties, but even we can relate to it today. That when they sign a peace treaty, <coughs> that you know that there are stages to the signing of it, right? In other words. First, they come to, they come together, they sit around a table like this, and they come to an agreement. We're going to have a peace treaty, okay? And that could be considered what the Bible considers the signing of the peace treaty, even though nothing's been signed yet. And then they negotiate and they come up with everything, and then they say, "Well, okay, we're going to sign it on the 24th of December, okay?" So they still haven't signed it, but they're working towards it, and that could be considered the signing of it. They actually sign it on the 24th, but it, it doesn't get enacted until January 31st, maybe, okay? So that so there's, there can be a week of time that will could be, any of those could be marked as the beginning of the seven-year period. All I'm saying is, so we, we can narrow it down fairly closely, but... You know, there'll be a little bit of ambiguity there. And that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins in darkness. The day of the Lord begins with the great tribulation period. And then moves into the light of the etern- of the uh, millennial kingdom. So the day of the Lord is a thousand and seven years long. It begins with the seven year tribulation period. goes into a thousand years of his kingdom. At the end of the seven year tribulation period, the Lord comes back all the way to earth and his feet touch on the Mount of Olives and there will be cataclysmic uh, changes in the surface of the earth at that time in Israel but in other areas of the world too. You're going a bit too fast for me. 
Yes, I know. Well, he, uh, I figured he wanted the, 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 the tribulation, bird's eye. The tribulation, <laughs> the tribulation only was seven years. Yes. All right, and then. And then the, the Lord saints, comes the back. Gone. Yep. The saints will be gone. Yep. The tribulation was seven years. The and Lord, the Lord will return to the earth, and we will return with him. At the end of the seven years, the battle of Armageddon will have just been completed. That's the day of the Lord. That's right. the day the, the Lord of the began day seven that's years before that. That's when he comes back on Mount Zion. No, the day of the Lord began seven years before that with the tribulation period. Is the day of the Lord and the rapture the same thing? No. No. So the day of the Lord is seven years, basically. No, because it includes a thousand year kingdom. The day of the Lord includes the millennium? Yes. But the day of the Lord has, has judgment. It's, it's all about judgment. It's no it starts judgment with judgment, but it moves into restoration and blessing. All of that's the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord culminates <laughs> the millennium? Yeah. Yes. See, I'm not too sure. About that. the millennium, millennium, millennium is so many years? A thousand years? years. After the seven years. <laughs> and you, you said that uh, there are several signs before the day of the Lord comes. I know Joel um, mentioned that the, the, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon will be turned into blood. Mm -hmm. That's one of the signs. You said there are others. Mm -hmm. Well, the earthquakes that are described in the book of Revelation, there's a whole series of six or seven different times in the, in the seven-year period where there are massive earthquakes, continental shifting uh, of the uh, continents of the planet, um, uh, the, the worldwide uh, bloodshed because of war, uh, the famine, you know, a fourth of the population of the earth is going to die early on there's Billions. another third of Billions the population of of, yeah <laughs> that's, a that's a tribulation yeah yeah but after he comes back on Mount Zion he's going to reign set up his kingdom in righteousness yes and we will reign with him and we will reign with him yes in a renewed earth now, if he's reigning for a thousand years, wouldn't that mean that he's omnipotent and all-powerful? And <coughs> why would people be, I mean, how could they be judged if there's such a control? There's righteousness and justice for a thousand years. How could there be that much judgment going on? Because they can't do anything wrong because they well, see they God. Still, they still have to make decisions. The people that enter... The the, uh, the kingdom from the tribulation period aren't in glorified bodies yet, like we who are in the church are. So they can right, make right, they can right. make bad decisions, and they will ultimately right at the end. Some. So you're looking at seventeen hundred years between the tribulation. A thousand, a thousand and seven. A thousand and seven. I'm sorry. A thousand seven years hmm. between the the rapture, the tribulation, and the, and the beginning of the eternal state. That would be the day of the Lord. 
But isn't it interesting, at the end of that thousand years, it mentions Magog and, and uh, you know, as, as kind of leading the rebellion. Can you imagine after a thousand years of our Lord reigning on a renewed earth and there's going to be a rebellion against him again? Satan will be uh, bound for, those th for the first time since the Garden of Eden. Satan will be bound for those thousand years. So he won't be able to tempt people, but people still have a sin in, in their old nature, right? And they can, the people on the earth, not believers in the church, because we'll have glorified bodies. And they'll still be able to make bad decisions. Well, Satan is released at the end of the thousand years, and he immediately is able to gather a rebellion against the Lord, and they march up to Jerusalem to take over the planet away from the Lord Jesus himself. And they're immediately destroyed. Fire comes down from heaven and destroys them. He doesn't have to go get his Ruger and load up a pistol. He doesn't have. Just fire oh, comes down from heaven. M16. Doesn't need to call anybody. Get the red phone and call and get the bombs ready. Oh, look. <laughs> all look. Yeah. All you need is one angel. Yeah. Not even that. It just speaks it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just speaks it. Fire. Yeah. One angel can destroy 185,000 in one night. Yeah. And one angel puts Satan in the bottomless pit. One angel takes him and puts him in the bottomless pit. One angel. It's amazing. <coughs> Someone asked, I'll close with this. Someone asked Dr. Chaper, Lewis Berry Chaper, who was the founder of Dallas Seminary uh, back in 1924. Uh, a woman asked him after a conference, you know, that he'd been speaking on this very thing about Satan being released after the thousand years. She said, why, once he bound Satan, why did he ever release him and let him go? And he said, well, sister, if you can tell me why he released him the first time, I'll tell you why he released him the second time. As <laughs> part of the purposes of God and his glory, he allowed Satan to fall the first time. And, of course, then that caused human beings, mankind, to fall when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. But those falls are also opportunities for mankind, you know. The reality is, is when good, things, good things get ugly, <clears throat> you see that exactly. with Israel. It's like, you know, why would Israel turn their back again and again and again? And why would God bail them out again, again and again, again and again? again? It's no different than bounding Satan and letting him go. That's right. You know, in hopes that the people see these cycles and learn from the past. Yep. You know. And us too. Yeah. You know, he's he delivered us from cycles of things that we do, and he restores us and gives us new opportunities. You know, so yeah, yeah. tells us a lot about his character, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. We we view, we view that stuff as bad. Like that woman asking the question, "Why would you do that?" But really, that's when the Lord shines is in in, in the in the darkness. There's there's one of the really good answers. That's right. It shows us his mercy, his compassion, his love, his strength in ways that we wouldn't know it otherwise. Amen. And sure. it proves the total depravity of man, all the way along, from the garden to the very end. Yeah. Man is depraved. Yeah. No matter what the uh, uh, conditions are, well, almost right. utopia, and they still rebel. Yeah. Best conditions that they ever had for a thousand years. I mean, mm -hmm. not a hundred, a thousand years of justice and righteousness and peace. And it's like, and they're going to see God too. Yeah. Maybe on big screens. Yeah. Just think of the technology now. How much more a thousand years is going to be, <laughs> and they're still going to turn on Jesus at the end. That's amazing to me. It's never enough. It's never yeah. enough for That's man. Right. Man is the brave. We need the Holy 
Spirit. We need we need Jesus living in us. That's the only answer. So maybe close in prayer or ask someone to close in prayer. Luke, we thank you for letting us come to your home here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much enough that your love was strong enough to die mm-hmm. for us. And we thank you that we're here and we're in love with the Holy Spirit. We have your precious word to read and to study and to uh, rule our lives. And we just pray that you might work in our hearts, stir our spirits, uh, that we might want to be closer to you, Lord, in our walk, our daily walk. And we thank you again for loving us, for the food we've had. For this great mm-hmm. fellowship and this time in your word. We thank you so much and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.